back to CYC's fellow-led podcast, Personal Statement, Episode 5, where we sit down virtually with influential community leaders and showcase how they make a statement in the community and beyond. I'm your co-host, Hena Barada, a senior at Independence High School whose dream career is to become an emergency room physician. And I'm your co-host, Ashlyn Osborne. I'm a freshman at Queens, and I am majoring in political science. So yesterday was a very special day for our co-host, Hannah. It was her birthday. So I just want to wish her a happy belated birthday. And I want to ask her what's something you wanted for your birthday. Honestly, all I wanted, I, all I want is like a full ride to Queens University. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think our special guest might be able to help. <laughs> Joining us today to make a personal statement is Dan Lugo, the first minority president of Queens University. Go Royals! So, President Lugo is ready to take Queens University from good to great, and we will discuss just how, his plan- how he plans to get there. Thank you for joining us, President Lugo, and it's a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you for the warm welcome, Ashlyn. And I hope, you know, uh, that, that your, your start to the Queens experience, definitely different than planned, but, but you know, we know that, that we're a great community and we're even stronger that you're a part of it. And Hannah, happy birthday. Uh, and thank you for everything that you're doing for your colleagues uh, by leading this program. And I can't wait to answer your questions. Thank you so much. To all our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Buckle up. Let's get personal. So, President Lugo, from myself, Hannah, and everyone at CYC, we want to wish you a happy belated birthday. Go Libras. <laughs> I was just wondering, how does it feel to turn 21? Oh, <laughs> you know, 21 uh, extended is, is going well. You know, every year that you add uh, on this earth is a real blessing. Yeah, yesterday was my birthday, and then... 21 is going to come soon too for me. So uh, a 21st birthday is a major accomplishment everyone looks forward to, but you have another accomplishment under your belt as the first minority president of Queens University. Can you tell us what the last year and a half has been like for you? Yeah, thank you. And I think that that, that um, recognition uh, versus uh, leader of color in our history is important. Right. And and I, I don't focus on it a lot, but I do think it's really, really important. And it's 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 symbolically important, but operationally important. And it says a lot about the Queens community and its board that, uh, you know, broke that barrier. And, and I think we're very, very intentional in, in embracing uh, uh, me as a leader of color. So this has been a, an incredibly exciting uh, a, a start to a new administration at Queens. Uh, I'm a few months into my second year. Uh, the first year I would describe as the tale of two halves, right? I arrived, I started to get to know the Charlotte community, got to, to know uh, you know, our students, our campus. Um, the inauguration was uh, last October uh, 18th, which was just an incredible experience. Um, we started our strategic planning. Things are really rolling along. We're gelling with uh, community leaders and getting our outreach. Last year, I had 237 meetings uh, with civic leaders, professional leaders, business leaders. And then February kind of happened. And then March happened where we had to really 
in a very, very um, urgent way, change the way we were delivering on our education. So, you know, there's that bimodality of being new, being excited, and then dealing with all of the pressure um, of change and change imposed externally. And our board was in complete agreement um, at the end of July that our preference was to be virtual uh, for the fall. And I think our faculty are doing a good job uh, with pivoting in that direction. Um, It's not easy, you know, and I know that it's not Ashland's preference. It's not my preference. um, And we're excited to come back in the spring in person. But our community has really come together virtually as as fatigued as we are with Zoom and every other. um, But we're getting good value out of it. And we thought it was most important that we privilege the consistency of instruction. We told our faculty what it's going to be like. We told our students what it's going to be like. And we just have been consistent and hopefully, you know, getting stronger and stronger through the pedagogy of online learning. And that'll help us as we go in the future, because, you know, there's some things that are going to survive beyond the pandemic, but we cannot wait to get back together to more face-to-face instruction. And we've got a great plan for that. And our spring semester will be around. So, it has been a roller coaster. It's been really challenging, um, but I'm really proud of the way the Queens community has stepped up. Yes, I think it's great to hear that. I mean, each of us has been affected by it, but like it's about getting through it, like how we try to work it out and just like make plans and just get through it. So thinking back on your childhood, did you think an 18-year-old boy who grew up on the South Shore of Long Island would be where you are right now? Not at all. Not at all. Oh, my gosh. I, I you know, I, I had, um, you know, a few dreams, but they, this was not the path. Um, that, that 18-year-old kid, uh, by the way, went to college uh, without ever having visited a college campus. Didn't take any tours. So you're, you're so lucky to be in the Carolina Youth Coalition. That's not going to let you make that mistake. The concept of, of really being an educational leader wasn't even on my radar. You know, um, I mean, there are a few things that were being a business person, being a doctor, being a lawyer. Right. Those were the things that I saw on TV that seemed attractive and I had no idea how to get there. So, no, I tell you the truth. I mean, just as recently as as, as 10, 15 years ago, um, I would not have dreamed that, that I would be a university president. So, um, you know, we are evolving beings. Uh, we, 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 we are constantly redefining ourselves. And one of the things that Carolina Youth Coalition is preparing you for is to get a great education. Because when you have a great education, you can do anything, right? When you know how to learn, you can keep learning for the rest of your life and redefine yourself whenever you want to and find really exciting things to do. So that's what I've done. That's what what, what has really empowered me to give me some agility to do different things. Um, And uh, it's been a fun ride. It's been a real fun ride. Yes, I think like we're glad to have like CYC with us. If I didn't have CYC, I don't know what I would have done because I didn't know how to do anything before CYC. So what were some of your career choices before, like, uh, when you were 18, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, I'm a first-generation college attender. Um, So my parents, uh, smart folks, always, always motivated me to, to study, always motivated me to go to college. 
but really didn't you know know how to navigate that and didn't have a lot of options you know to explain to me of you know how kind of the professional world works so I was a bit on my own um, and as I said a little bit earlier the things that were most visible to me you know probably because of TV and media right was oh you can be a doctor, uh, you could be a lawyer, and you can be a business person. Um, in high school, I, I, I used to be a, a musician. I never dreamed that I was going to turn into a professional musician, but I was, I was like a string bass player in an orchestra, and it allowed me to kind of like travel. So I, I like wanted a career that would involve some traveling, right? Like could get me around the world. But I didn't know how to make any of that happen. It turned out that coming out of uh, a college, um, I went through the path of being an attorney, went to law school um, at the University of Minnesota, and I practiced law for nine years. And, and nine years confirmed that it was the wrong thing for me, right? It took me nine years to realize that. Some of you, you know, that are smarter than me will, 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 will not, you know, uh, take uh, as long to realize that it's time to pivot. Um, but, um, you know, I... I um, I, I, I think, you know, as I look back, everything, every single thing that, that I did and I experienced professionally was all helped me build into the type of leader that I am today. Um, all of those lessons um, and all of those failures, you know, one of the things that um, uh, I don't get an opportunity to talk enough about and I can write a book about it is actually failure. Not, not, you know, oh my gosh, not the interview question of, you know, tell us about, you know, what you did and you, and you show like, this was hard, but I overcame it. No, I'm talking about failing, you know, occasionally in life you hit walls and, um, and, the, the, the folks with the most interesting and exciting and incredible lives, if you ask them, tell me about the failures in your life, they're going to have incredible stories that you can learn from. Um, and I've got a ton of them, too. Um, and it just makes you stronger, makes you smarter, makes you stronger. Yes, I think that's really a great answer because we all like it's not how we feel, but like how we learn from our failures, I guess. So I think that's a great lesson for all of us. So um, that leads us into a fun question. If you could be a lead singer of any band or group, what group would you have chosen or and why? Uh, if I could be a, a singer, a lead singer of a group, it, it, would, it would actually have to be a hip hop act and be able to rap. Like, you know, I'd have to be in like Wu-Tang Clan, right? Uh, because that's like, the upper level, right, of, of, of rap ability and, um, and to be able to go around the world and just have, have you know, crowds just be incredibly impressed. Uh, I'm from New York, uh, so I grew up in, in, in the kind of the, 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 the hip hop kind of explosion years of, of the East Coast. Uh, and, um, you know, so, I, yeah, I, I, w- I would be, you know, Method Man or something like that uh, for, for, for the Wu-Tang Clan. And, yeah, some of you are too young. I'm seeing this chat. But, it's, but it, you know, you're sleeping. You, you got to go out there to iTunes and just, just hit the first three popular songs. And, you know, if you have hair, you're gonna, your hair is going to be blowing back because you're going to be so impressed. <laughs> Um, that kind of reminds me of my dad. He's really into Wu Tang Clan. And throughout the smart country, man, smart man. Yeah, for Christmas, I think I got him a record player and then one of their old records. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
But to move on, um, at CYC, we talk a lot about education and equality, and Queens has taken steps to become a more inclusive university through its test optional policy and mm-hmm. admissions of undocumented students. Mm-hmm. So why has Queens chosen to implement these policies? Yeah, and, and, and to be quite honest, I inherited those 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 practices and policies, and um, it's one of the the many things that made Queens attractive to me. It's a place that truly wears in its everyday experience the value of diversity and how important it is. And I come from schools that shared that top value of of what bringing people with diverse backgrounds together can do. The moral imperative that it is to educate everyone in our society. And I think it's just it, just a strategic advantage for us. We just know that there is incredible, incredible talent and talent isn't aggregated in, in different zip codes, right? Every single zip code has deep, deep levels of talent and it's our job to find them and to activate that talent, to educate and launch that talent. So that's why um, I think uh, uh, the test optional policy is, is incredibly important. I've worked at three schools that have effectively used a test optional um, um, policy. I, I don't believe that what you did for four years in high school should be summed up of what you did for a couple hours on a Saturday morning. Right. I think the four years of the work that you did in high school should be much, much more important. So I like our posture on that. And there's a lot of controversy around that. And then in terms of our uh, commitment to enrolling uh, students from all backgrounds. And, you know, I I don't even like using the terminology around undocumented or whatever. These these are community members with incredible talent. And as I look at the, the United States, We've got to get everyone, everyone into the game, right? Everyone into the economy, everyone lifting up our communities. Um, and, you know, let's find, you know, the best talented people, get them the great education that's really going to move our nation forward, move our cities forward, move our communities forward. Um, and we absolutely, absolutely have a, an incredible commitment at Queens and we should uh, across the nation in higher education to educate um, those community members um, so they can be true beacons for their families, for their communities and incredible, incredible contributors to the economy. It just makes absolute good sense. I'm proud um, that that Queens is a place that believes in that. Yes, I think I can relate to like what you said about that being test optional because I'm I can be good in school, but I'm not a good test. Like, I'm not good at test taking. Like, I I just have anxiety and I, it's just, I don't know what happens to me, like, when I sit down and start taking tests. So I think that's going to be a good for, that's going to be good for, like, most of us, I guess. So on our first episode of Personal Statement, we had Janine Bryan, Director of Operations at Creed. And she spoke about the structural and individual choices in our educational system that acts as a barrier to higher education. Mm-hmm. So what are some of uh, some steps that colleges and universities can t- take to raise structural barriers around higher education to uh, for first generation college students? Yeah, well, I think um, step one is is being test optional, right? That that's been a major, major barrier to improve on uh, diversity of all kinds, uh, in particular ethnic and socioeconomic diversity on our campus. Uh, because the, the the thing that 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 the SAT and the SAT, ACT measures best, what it what it is what it correlates most to, 
is wealth, right? If you, if you show the kind of income strata and show testing averages, there's incredible alignment and correlation between, you know, uh, resources. So one, you, we, we can get more schools and we're seeing that uh, in, in the pandemic that many, many, many more schools went test optional. Some of it was just around the, you know, the availability of people getting tests. I hope that those, those schools, you know, stay where they're at. Right. So let, let's let's do away with that requirement. I also think that there's incredible, uh, incredible chilling effect of access to the full choice um, of opportunities in higher education that comes just from high schools. Right. This the differentiating of, of type of high school, how big those high schools are. And there's a crisis among American high school around guidance, in particular guidance and counseling towards, you know, picking a college or knowing what's a great college for individual students. If you look at the counseling ratios, they're just insane around college counseling. And that's why, again, the Carolina Youth Coalition is absolutely serving in such critical, uh, critically important stuff. So colleges, our admissions office needs to get much more acquainted and in much deeper partnerships with these community-based organizations that are doing great college counseling to help you get the most informed choices um, that you can. And I think that we also really need to take um, a deep dive and look into our existing communities. Um, Unless you attend an HBCU, um, you go to an institution that was likely founded, right, that at its core and its culture was defined, all of the norms were towards, you know, either, you know, a a particular white heterogeneous, you know, um, uh, heterosexual uh, uh, way of being. And so there are cultural codes and signals that are deeply embedded in almost everything that happens in our communities that we have to take a real honest reflection at. Um, and, and after that inventory, have the, the confidence to make change, right? To think about how people are differently impacted by all of the sometimes symbolic things that we share um, around our, our, the traditions that we have. And then of course, curricularly, right? The expectations for preparation. I was actually listening and, and, and uh, I'm sure, you know, maybe one day uh, or maybe you already have uh, uh, Dr. Carol Quillen, the the, uh, the president up at Davidson. She had a really brilliant way of talking about, you know, the sciences in particular and how they are somewhat prejudiced um, for for wealth. Right. If you come through really well resourced schools, you get access to a different level of science preparation. And then you arrive on a campus like Davidson and the faculty expect you to have this level of preparation. And actually, a much more inclusive approach is to ignore the preparation and actually pick a harder problem over here that no one's prepared for so that everyone comes in almost equally lost. Right. No one feels advantaged or disadvantaged because, oh, I didn't have physics, you know, in high school. Like everyone is equally lost because so much about having a really transformative and powerful uh, college experience just relates to confidence. Right. That you hit the ground running and you feel like you belong. And when you feel like, you know, oh, I'm a little bit lost that you look around and you notice that 
Oh, everyone's lost too. I guess I'm in the right place, you know, but when you look around and you feel like everyone knows things that you don't know, that's, that's inequity kind of in action right there. So I think that universities have to be brave to truly review and analyze all of these different moments where we disempower people and we don't need to do that. We should be empowering all of our community members. And it's not about lowering standards, right? It's about empowering all of our uh, community members uh, to thrive. So those are some things that I think about in response to that question. Um, earlier, a little bit earlier when you were speaking, you spoke about how high schools didn't really give you good college counseling. And I definitely agree not to like bash my high school or anything, but it's like they mostly look at your grades. They don't look at your personality and they don't look at you and how you'll fit into that school and how that school will affect you. And I definitely thank CYC, Miss LaShawn and everybody there for helping me figure out what school I wanted to go to. Oh, man, everyone, everyone on this call and beyond, because I know that the reach is much further, is really so fortunate, right, to have have CYC in your life. Um, And and, um, you know, so I'm incredibly grateful to the founders, to the leaders that that do this work. And and so, you know, any way I can I can be supportive. It's it's really going to take external forces like this. Yes, sir. So. What advice would you give students who may or may not know what they want to study or even go to college? Uh, that's a great question. Um, and I, I think that that's exactly a good place to be, right? Being undecided should actually be more often encouraged. I think we get, we put a lot, a lot of pressure on 15, 16 and 17 year olds to know what they want to do with the rest of their lives, right? I didn't know that when I was 18. I changed my career when I was 30. I've, I've done so many different things in my life. And so I think the, the, the thing that you should want to know, right, about yourself is, you know, what environment do you learn best in, right? Are you the type of person that's going to be okay, you know, learning an environment that's really, really large and really dynamic and where, you know, you are, are perhaps in larger class sizes? Is that the way you learn best? Or do you learn best in being in a more intimate environment where you know faculty better, where you're in a more dialogue-based learning experience, right, where um, you can be a part of shaping your education? I think that's a pretty important dividing line for deciding what type of an institution. It is good, right, if you know some possibilities of what you want to do. So you can try those things out, right? That gets into the aspects of of learning and failing, right? Uh, One of the things that I think is great for everyone to be interested in, this is just a little bit of an advertisement for Queens, but it's sincere, um, is that I think we do the best of kind of all worlds, right? We have an intimate learning environment that is really surrounded by a proven kind of interdisciplinary liberal arts approach. So undergraduate students are going to be exposed to so many different things. And, you know, one of the things that I always find really profound in the 17 years that I've been in higher education if you ask somebody what they want to do, right, and, you know, and they say, oh, I want to, you know, I want to major in this or I want to major in, you know, uh, 
physics or chemistry or English or whatever it is, or I want to be a nurse. It's because there's someone that they've been exposed to, right? That's really good at that and has taught them something about that. And they say, Ooh, well, that's, that's really curious for me. And I say the possibility of going to a great college for you is what happens when you actually go to a place that's actually good at all of the things that they offer, right? You, you, unfortunately, high schools are not good at everything, right? Unfortunately, every one of your teachers isn't, you know, the best at, at, in, in, in that department. But when you go to college, you go to a really good college, you're going to get great instruction. And I think what happens there is you actually learn what you actually are best positioned to do and what you like to do versus who was your best teacher in high school, right? You know, if you had an incredible math teacher that really had brought you into the subject, you know, math options are really, you know, exciting for you. But if you had a really bad math teacher, you might think that I'm bad at math. So I can't do sciences. I can't do computer science. I can't. All of that hopefully disappears when you go to college and you get a, a much stronger, you know, pedagogy and a much stronger and interesting and vibrant way of instruction. Finally, you get the chance to learn what you want to do, which gets back to your 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 premise up front. It's hard to know what you want to do when you're 15, 16, 17. You haven't been exposed to it. And then on top of it, again, more Queens advertising. We're going to make sure that. You know, yes, hard when you're 22. We're going to make sure that you do multiple internships, right? Because guess what? Yeah, you might be really excited about finance. Well, guess guess what? You're going to get an internship at a finance company in town, and you're going to see, hmm, do you really like it, or do you think you like it, or did you like the story that you read in a magazine, right? What's the real experience? And that's truly what an intentional, great college experience should be. How do you learn how to learn? get a great base education, and then start chasing the things that you're passionate about. Um, earlier, you were speaking about how certain teachers can kind of push you into your career path. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm a political science major. I was too, by the way. So, you know, that's, 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 that's kind of good stuff. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. But um, as I mentioned earlier, I was a, I am a political science major and the class I'm taking right now, it is pushing me further. And it makes me like a little bit more passionate about what I want to do. And it's like making me think, oh, this is the right career choice for me. I actually want to do this. Mm-hmm. It's important that you don't love everything, right? It's important that you start narrowing things down. There's so much beauty and power in experiencing something that gives you the opportunity to say, hmm, nope, don't like that, right? I mean, it's just as important in finding things that you like to really figure out what's the most intentional pathway forward. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but that, oh, that's no, a critical no. part of the process. No, it's definitely fine. I agree with you that you should have both experiences. The next thing we want to do is we want to take a minute to test your knowledge of some household slogans to see if you can recognize them. Uh Uh-oh. So how this will work is I'll read off the slogans and then you'll guess the brand that's associated with them. Oh, man. This is dangerous. This is dangerous. Okay, go for it. Okay. So the first slogan is think different. Ooh, I'm... I recognize that, but I don't know where it's from. Think 
different. It's is it like a technology company? Uh, is it is it, it, it? I don't know if it's if it's Google or Microsoft. I, I don't. It's 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 something like that. So the correct answer is actually Apple. It's Apple, of course yeah. it is. You know what? And and I'm not I'm not I'm not an Apple guy. So you just okay. you, you you just outed me, right? I'm, I'm looking. <laughs> I'm I'm working on a, a a Dell computer right here, right okay. now, talking to you. So there you go. I'm I'm not in the Apple cult. I'm not there. <laughs> I wouldn't really call it a cult, <laughs> but <laughs> um, the next slogan is the breakfast of champions. This one's kind of hard, so I'll give you a second. Isn't that Wheaties? I mean, isn't that How did you surreal? get that so fast? Yeah, I think that's a generational thing. That that got that got hammered into my generation. Yeah, you're correct. It is Wheaties. Um, the next one is, it's super easy, the quicker picker-upper. It's Charmin. <laughs> no? <laughs> no? Not? Uh, uh, a Swiffer. No, no? sir. <laughs> Say that again. It's the quicker picker upper. Oh no, uh, I don't know. I've heard it a million times, but I'm missing it. I'm, I'm obviously missing it. So it's actually bounty paper towels. Oh, it's bounty. Yeah. Okay, I, I actually do some cleaning, but uh, you know, it doesn't have to be that really expensive bounty brand, right? It, it, it could be more generic. I'm just saying. Yeah, you're right. Um, so the next one is maybe she's born with it maybe it's maybelline yeah yes sir yeah yeah and then the last one we have is can you see my screen can you see my screen mm-hmm. mm. it's not that... a very known one yeah i'd say so um uh... Can you see my screen? I don't know. It's it's a product that is one of those privacy shields for computers. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. So this one is actually the Zoom slogan. It's not the <sighs> official Zoom slogan, but it's like one that a lot of people use, I guess. Wow. Wow. Think think about what the pandemic has done for Zoom, where you don't even need to know their slogan, but you're forced to use their stuff. That's pretty good. It is. <laughs> but thank you for playing with us. Yeah, I didn't I didn't do too well, so I'm sorry. Those were those were hard. Those were hard. <laughs> it's fine. But on a more serious note, what do you think needs to happen for Queens to become a household name? Well, I think that we really need to live into our full potential. Um, we're very, very proud that a third of our students uh, are students of color. A third are the first in their family to you know, go to college. A third are Pell eligible. But our scale isn't big enough. We need to grow in terms of scale. And we need to get a little bit beyond, right? There's a little bit of a legacy. We have this incredibly gorgeous campus over here in Myers Park. But and sometimes I feel we can we can get a, a little bit you know safe and 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 instead of being our full brand, which is Queens University of Charlotte, be a little bit more like Queens University of Myers Park. We really need to own the whole entire place. And so I'm hoping that that this wave, this new this administration that I'm leading, is going to create the plan that allows us to do that, to be much more present in the city, to create new programs that are dynamically 
you know, supportive of the talent needs of this, this great city and to be a much, much bigger answer for the economic mobility challenges that, you know, really confront important communities here in Charlotte. So I think if we do those types of things and we really partner with industry, partner with the city, partner with the incredible businesses that, that we have in the city and I think that we're going to get the national notoriety that we deserve and that the city deserves. Right. There's just there's there's just no excuse for Charlotte not having its version of Emory uh, in Atlanta, having its version of Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. That has to be us. and, And that's what we're living into right now. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of time that I think Queens would definitely become like our own, like big university in the future. So we have a question from the chat. We would like to ask, how is Queens keeping up with the mental health and or online learning difficulties of its of its students? And are there any plans in the works of in the works to address those concerns? Yeah, it, it, they, so it was a primary focus um, of, of our, our university and, and our administration um, is the mental uh, well-being of our community. Um, this is a, you know, I, I, when I think of uh, your generation and, you know, students that are your colleagues and peers, and I think, you know, the, the type of climate that you were born into, you know, post 9-11, when I think of the recession that happened in 2008, when I think about what's happened to the economy and how that's impacted your families, when I think that, you know, many of you come from families that have families in service that have been in Afghanistan and Iraq and other points of real conflict throughout your whole entire life, when I think about what's going on in climate change, when I think about when I went to high school, I never, ever did a shooter's drill, but I guarantee that most of you have done shooter's drills in your schools. You know, this is this is really, really, really challenging for our young people, right? And the development um, of our young people. And as a result of all of this, um, you know, instability, I think um, a generation of our students are growing up with much more anxiety, much more stress than I've had, much more pressure, right, to perform, much more knowledge of, oh, my gosh, if I don't get this college choice right, I'm done. You know, oh, my gosh, I, you know, everything is just very, very amped up. So we've had acute needs to expand access to mental health program in a communal sense and treatment and therapy and great uh, provision of care on an individual sense. Um, We've done that with hiring uh, more counselors uh, on our campus, but also scaling our efforts through different, you know, telemedicine solutions. And in the pandemic, even though we've been virtual, we have found ways to ensure that all of our students um, have access to these um, telehealth, uh, mental health counseling opportunities. Um, but we need to do more. And I think that 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 every institution in America is struggling with this, right? How to be um, a, a home for, for students to be safe, for them to 
create, you know, to heal perhaps even some of the, the fractures that they have in their foundation from their childhood, which puts them in a position to do, you know, all of the scholarly and, and personal development work that they can do on our campus. Um, and I think we're getting better at that, but there's a lot more work for, for us to do. Totally, totally critically important topic. And it's interesting that, you know, there, there are five pillars and themes to our strategic planning for the next era of, of work at Queens. And one of those central pillars is in truly building, you know, a best in class approach towards community uh, health and wellness. Um, Cause it's just, it's, it's, if you don't have that, it's hard to achieve anything on top of it. Right. If, if, if you don't have that at a foundational level, it's hard to learn. Right. If you don't have that type of security and wellness at a foundational level, it's hard for you to feel safe. So um, it, it kind of starts there. And we're ramping up our attention to, to that area. Um, as a freshman at Queens, I feel like they're doing an amazing job. I know that like. Of course, it's the pressure of your freshman year, but also learning in a pandemic, like throughout the semester, I've needed a little bit of extra time to do an assignment. And I feel like my professors are very open when and honest when I email them and I ask them, hey, can I have a little time? Even I think my roadmaps teacher, Laura Knudsen, she does an amazing job during class. She always talks about the resources, um, the counseling resources, the tutoring resources, and she just offers us a lot of emotional support. And I honestly think that you guys are doing a great job. But earlier, you mentioned that you talked about President Quinlan at Davidson, and we were just wondering would you be willing to refer another college president to our network? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, and, and, and there's a there's a good self-interest interested reason that they'd want to. Uh, you know, the, the word is out. Uh, CYC's got a bunch of rock stars, man. And so, you know, people want you and, and presidents are definitely going to want to put their best foot forward for your group. So definitely would love to make some introductions. And, and by the way, I'm not going to let um, uh, let let a moment pass to thank you for, for for the feedback that you've given about your first year experience at Queens and the good care that our that our faculty you know are demonstrating. But I also I think even more importantly want to recognize and ask everyone to model what you are doing and the ownership that you're taking for your experience, right? You, you hit on the two most important things that are going to keep making you successful. You know how to self-advocate, number one, and you communicate. I think if you rely on those two things, it's going to work in college, it's going to work in grad school, and it's going to work, you know, when you have a boss in a job. If you self-advocate and you communicate and you get, you know, uh, 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 that type of relational work, um, it does really great things for you. So, you know, definitely proud of, of, of you, Ashlyn, and the way you're approaching, you know, Queens and your first year. Thank you so much. So I'm a first generation. I'm going to be a first generation student. And you talked about community building. So how does Queens provide an inclusive and helpful community for first generation college students? Well, um, one of the things is, is we celebrate that. When I went to school, it was like, you almost didn't want to admit that, like, right? Because you assume that everyone else had parents that went to the Ivy League, even though that wasn't true then. Like, oh, 
you know, like, oh, maybe I, I don't know something, right? So the, the, I think the, the, one of the important things that we do at Queens is to celebrate that, that, that identity, right, that informs who we are but doesn't limit who we are. Um, we have an incredible number of highly, highly successful faculty and staff members on our campus that are also proudly first gen. You know, the president of the institution happens to be first gen. And so we we love to really show that, that fact off, that it's an accomplishment, right? That we've found a way where, you know, lots and lots of uh, high percentages of folks that came from a similar background didn't find their way to our college campuses, right? Um, so one, celebrate that, that identity. Two, actually figure out from an equitable perspective, so what does that also mean, right? You know, how do we use high impact practices that have the benefit of addressing the needs of first generation students um, to make the experience more, more equitable. Here's the magic of all of that though. What I've discovered and what higher education has discovered with incredible re, uh, research is that not even, you know, your parents may, might've went to Chapel Hill or Harvard or Davidson, but it doesn't mean you actually know those things. It just means that failure to know them isn't gonna make you strike out. Right. It doesn't mean that, you know, anyone's any smarter, but it means that you have a safety net. It means that you're not going to get even more anxiety because you're going to come home and call a mom who went to college and say, you know, that sounds exactly like my experience. Don't worry. It's going to be all right. And when you're first generation, you just don't have those family members or networks to do it for you. But but again, I'll go back to the magic. The high impact practices, right, that really uh, train people to really understand how to take advantage of the study skills, that train people to take advantage of how to network uh, with their faculty, how to network with alumni, to do a whole ton of things like get internships. Not only are they good for the first generation students, they're good for everyone, right? So it's, it's in everyone's best interest that we do these things that make the experience more equitable. So to me, investing in learning what's best for first generation students makes us a better university, right? It makes us a totally better university for all students, regardless of their backgrounds. Um, I am not a first gen student, but I do That's have great. some peers and a lot of my classmates, they are, and they have told me or they both voiced to me that they're having a pretty good experience and they don't really feel nervous and they don't have anxiety about classes and stuff like that. That's great feedback. That is great. I love, love hearing that. Um, I am a first year student and I'm currently like a sophomore at Queens. So uh, I know that the Center for Student Success have star club called the First Gen Club, mm -hmm. of course, for students like you to reach out. Like we we have movie night. We also have like a lot of like gathering that we can do just to like ease up a little bit with like the COVID. And um, we communicate very often. And also like the director of the Center for Student Success, Christina, I love her. She is really helping in terms of like she's so 
like her attitude she always welcoming everyone and literally when you step on that campus like it doesn't matter if you're a first gen or not you are encouraged to like ask questions if you have like anything going on with your life you can reach out to anyone and like the experience that they're giving you like um, the attitude the warming attitude I feel like everything is very like encouraging and that's definitely I add up to like the whole like how's the welcoming environment for first gen student absolutely and um and 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 i'm a proud club member and you've seen me at 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 some meetings last year when we were on campus so um no we we lift that experience up and again uh investing in the first generation experience is investing in everyone's experience Yes, that's definitely right. So we have come to the part of the show where we ask all of our guests to give us their personal statement. You're now on a growing list of minority people making significant strides in our state and country. So 100 years from now, uh, what is the statement you want to have made to the world? 100 years from now, what's the statement? Um, I'm hoping that people will say about me, right, um, that he worked, um, he worked hard in his life to create access uh, to better opportunities uh, for, for, for young people and people of great promise, right, um, that, that, that I was a person that, that opened doors um, for, for lots of people individually and lots of different communities. I think if, if I can be recognized as, as that person uh, down the line, um, I, I would be very, very proud to have had that legacy and reputation. Yeah, I think that's great. We're really proud to have you here too. So it's such a great like opportunity to t- talk to you now. And I think we're going to remember that like even after like five or 10 years, I'm going to remember that. I definitely agree with Hannah. And also just speaking with you in general, not a lot of students have the chance to talk to their university's president. And I'm very grateful and thankful for this opportunity. But we all have a choice to make a statement daily. What will be your next statement? Thank you, President Lugo, for the great conversation.